Well, we are uh, in our series called Job, The Significance of Suffering, and I love this story, okay? I'm just say it straight up. I've said that every week probably. But, uh, but I love this story because it's about a real man who lived in a real place who, uh, who dealt with real pain and suffering. And it's something that every single one of us in this room can somewhat relate to, right? Because life's not always easy. Now, society as a whole um, has been trying to fix the problem of suffering since society existed, right? Um, since we as humans have existed. Um, that's been, it's been a problem with us, and it's something that we've always tried. Maybe it's not we just try to fix the problem of pain and suffering, but it's we try to limit pain and suffering. And that's not necessarily bad, right? Like, we all like, it's good when life's a little easier, right? None of us are going to complain about that. But society tells us a lot of things that's just not true. And actually, we spent our last series kind of going through some of these things. But uh, society tells us that, hey, if you just believe in yourself, you just believe in yourself, right? right? Everything, everything's going to be good, okay? You could, do, you could do anything, right? If you just stay positive, your life will be good. Life will, life will be great for you. By the way, if anything bad happens in your life, that's not your fault, right? That's somebody else's fault. This is what society tells us. Um, you know, we hear things like this advice, like follow your heart or, or don't let anybody change you or, hey, you just need to be who you want to be or whatever you feel like you are, that, that's, what, that's what you are. And, and really the whole idea and the whole premise, the society that our Western culture tells us is you need to do whatever you can to pursue happiness. And if you do whatever you can to pursue happiness, life will be good. But that's not the way life works. Right? Life doesn't work that way. If you've been, you know, alive for more than two minutes, right, you understand that life is a little difficult. Um, life doesn't work that way. Life is hard. You're going to have to work. You're going to have to sweat. Right? Every single one of us, we're going to experience pain. Now, some of us, we experience maybe more pain than others. Some of you guys are Browns fans in here. And, uh, and your pain hasn't started yet this year, but it's about to. Um, you know, right now, Browns fans, there are they're pumped, right? It's, this is how it is. I'm not a Browns fan, but I hear this every year. It's like, oh, this is the year. It's like every year they're going to win the Super Bowl, and every year they're like one of the worst three teams in the, in the, in the country. You know, I don't understand what, what the optimism is there, but, uh, but right now you're flying high, Browns fans, but give it a couple weeks, okay? You'll be back in the miserable, suffering state that, that where you are always, you know, where you belong, I guess. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I'm, you don't belong there, okay? Someday you'll maybe win more than half your games. I don't know. But uh, someday you might get in the playoff, but yeah. Um, but, but, you know, we all, we all go through suffering. Some of you college students, right? You guys know what suffering is. Some of you guys, you met your roommate just two, two weeks ago, and you, your roommate is weird, okay? Let's just be honest. Like, you're, that's, at least that's how you perceive it. You're like, this uh, you know, you're like, this person doesn't do the things that I do. This person doesn't like the same things. We have no interest, common interests together. And this person listens to weird music and maybe even smells weird. You know, whatever that might be. And so college students, you're just like, I don't know. Maybe you're sitting there right now and you're like, I don't know if I can, if I can do this for another week, let alone the rest of the year. Okay? All right? Suffering. Right? Other, others of you, maybe you know your roommate, and maybe it's not that. Maybe, you know, I know how it is when you're a college student, you just get back on campus, which I'm assuming a lot of you guys did the last, maybe two weeks ago or whenever. Um, but you get back on campus, and you've already picked out the girl of your dreams, right? She's already, you've seen her walking around campus five times, and you know, right? You know that's her. You are positive. And maybe, maybe you're a girl, and you're like, you know, I, I saw him. He's, 
the man of my dreams, I guess is what you would say. Or boy, I don't know. But uh, we're like, yeah, you know, he, he's the one. And they've already taken your heart and just crushed it because you saw him walking with another girl or whatever, you know. All right? We're just like, oh. Right? But there's a lot worse things out there, right? There's like real problems out there. Right? Some, some of you, maybe you've been diagnosed with some physical you know, condition or physical problem where you're just realizing that you're going to have to live with this thing, right, for the rest of your life. You don't know how you're going to do it. All right, maybe you've overdrawn in your bank account again and again and again. Maybe you didn't get that promotion that you were, like, banking on. Like, you knew, you were, like, for sure, hey, I, I, got, I got this locked. I got this in the bank, and it didn't happen. Maybe that business deal that you've been working on for so long that you, like, you were so sure was going to happen, maybe that fell through at the last minute. You put so much time and so much effort and energy into it, and it just didn't, just didn't work. Maybe it's even worse than that. Maybe some of you guys, I know you guys have experienced that, that your spouse has walked out on you. Where he or she has been just, they're just done with the marriage. Right? Some of you, you know, you've experienced where, you know, someone close to you, someone that you love, someone that you really cared about died. Maybe they got diagnosed with something, they, they got sick and died, or maybe it's just some tragic accident that just all kind of happened at once. I know um, the last, uh, actually a couple, a couple weeks ago, some of you guys know this person, Brad Beeler. He's, uh, he's, a he's a member of our family here at Grace. He's one of, actually, our launch team members last year, and um, he was diagnosed with ALS. Right? A terrible, terrible, terrible disease. Actually, we as a family, one thing that we should be doing, because we are a family, that's what we are. It doesn't matter if you're a middle schooler, it doesn't matter if you're a college student just here for, for you know, part of the year, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, you're in your 80s and you're retired, it doesn't matter, okay? The Bible tells us that we are a family, that's what we are supposed to, you know, we're here for each other, and, uh, and so I'd encourage you guys to pray for Brad, or at least pray there's no cure for ALS, but at least, uh, at least pray that, you know, that it would pause or stop progressing, but suffering's all around us, right? We all, we, and, and what we're so good at, right? We hide it so well. We don't want people to know how bad it is, right? We don't want people, people to know what we're going through. But suffering is life. And if you feel like, you know, maybe you're sitting there, you're like, well, my life's pretty good right now. I don't, you know, everything, everything's going to plan. I don't have any issues. Life's, life's good, all right? And so this doesn't really apply to me. If you're not going, if you're not suffering, or there's no crisis in your life now, it is coming, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, because suffering is life. And the question that we have been asking ourselves is, what are you going to do when it comes? How are you going to respond when suffering comes into your life? And that's the book of Job. That's why I like it so much, right? Because it applies to every single one of us. And um, let's recap kind of what has happened over the last couple of weeks real quick. Job, he's the wealthiest man. Um, on the probably the planet, at least in his in his area, and uh, and he's really known for his wealth. All right, God has blessed him immensely. He's got more than what he could ever need. He's just got so much, and uh, and he's known for that. But much more important, he's actually known more than his wealth and for being a good dad and for being a good person and having a good character. He's actually known more for a God follower, for being a God follower. That that's his reputation. And so people know him by, by, because of his relationship with God, something that really we should all try to emulate in, in some way. 
right? One day Satan shows up in the throne room of God and, and he starts challenging Job's character and challenging Job's reputation. And so he starts saying, and his reasoning is this, he's saying, hey, God, 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 if, uh, you know, the only reason why Job worships you is because you're giving him all the stuff. You take away his stuff, he ain't going to worship you no more. Of course he's going to worship you, right? Look how good you made his life. You've protected him. You've given him so much. If you were to take that away, Satan saying, God, I, I guarantee you he would curse you. If he had the chance, he would curse you to your face. And what's God say? God says, okay. Satan, go ahead. Test him. But you may not touch Job. And so what's Satan do? He goes out and he kind of hits Job from four different corners and, uh, and, he, and he hits Job and, and it, he does that on purpose. It's designed that way. It's in the, in the original language. It's like rapid succession. It's like bad news after bad news after bad news comes and these messengers are telling Job and, and Job, what Job realizes is that all of his wealth is just gone. Satan, he strips that from Job. He takes it all away. But not just that, the last messenger comes and says, hey, Job, I was with your kids, your sons and daughters. He had he had uh, seven sons and three daughters. And he's like, and, and, the, and the, the storm came and the house collapsed on him and they're all dead. In an instant, Job loses everything. And do you remember his response? The Bible says he fell down and worshiped. Dang. That's crazy. That literally, it, that blows me away. It really should make us stop and think, like, what if you lost everything in one day? Actually, what if you lost everything in one hour? How would you respond to that? What do we usually do? What do we usually do when something, like, little comes into our life that we don't appreciate, that's uncomfortable, whatever? You know, well, a lot of times, what do we do? We blame God. We're like, oh, God, I didn't sign up for this. God, why are you allowing this? You know, you put this in my life. That's not, that's not fair. Or we get angry at God. Or some of us, we question his goodness. Like, how could you be a good God and, and allow this bad thing to happen to me? Or some of us, we even question, you know, some of you, you question his existence. Like, God, are you there? All right, are, are, do you even exist? Are you, do you even care? It's not Job. That's not, what, that's not what Job does here. I mean, and, and at this, this point in the story where we left off last week, you would think the story would be done, right? Satan loses. God wins. Everything's back to, you know, every, every, everything's fine. I mean, Job almost is like a little pawn. He suffered, but, but you know, but the, the good news is God wins, and that's just all it means. But actually, the story is just beginning, and one day, after all this happens to Job, which we looked at last week, Satan shows back up in the throne room of God. In Job chapter 2, verse 2, it says this. It says, the Lord asked Satan, he says, hey, where have you come from? From roaming through the earth, Satan answered and walking around on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, he says, have you considered my servant Job? Does this sound familiar? Right? This is exactly what happened the f two weeks ago when we talked about uh, Satan and God, when they were interacting, is like deja vu here. He says, he says, no one else on earth is like him, All right? And then God mentions Job's reputation. He says, he's a man of perfect integrity, who fears God and turns away from evil. He still retains his integrity, Satan, even though you enticed me against him to destroy him for no good reason. Skin for skin, Satan answered the Lord. He says, a man will give up everything he owns in exchange for his life, but stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. Notice here, 
that God mentions Job first? Again, this isn't Satan coming up and saying, hey, you know, let me, let's talk about Job. Uh, you know, I, if Job, he doesn't, he doesn't really love you. Does, that's, not, that's not what happened here. Here's God is proud of Job. God is rooting for Job. And God looks at Satan, he's like, hey, you were wrong. Did you notice Job? Or I know you've seen Job. You've been you've been walking around, you've been, you've been looking at things. I know you've noticed Job. All right, can you picture the scene here? It's similar to what we looked at a couple weeks ago, all right, where the, the Bible tells us we, we get a glimpse of what heaven looks like in several passages in the Bible. And the Bible tells us that the angels are constantly worshiping and glorifying God. God's sitting on his throne. They don't even look at God because he is so holy. And they're all screaming at the top of their lungs, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And everybody's pumped and everybody's joyful and, and Satan maybe comes in through the, creeps in through the back door and he's kind of standing in the corner whining and complaining and, you know, he hates it. And maybe the angels, they start even, you know, I'd be, if I were an angel, I'd start, I'd start singing louder. Like, oh, save to you guys. Like, like, you know, right in his face. And God looks over and he points to Satan. He says, hey, hey, where you been? Satan's like, I've been on the earth doing my thing and and he asks Satan about Job. And Satan's got an answer that he's ready with. Right? He says, skin for skin. He's like, God, are you kidding me right now? All right, remember, by the way, that God is the one who limited Satan. God told Satan at the beginning, he says, hey, 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 you can take whatever you want from Job, but you cannot touch my servant Job. All right? And so here's Satan. He's saying, are you kidding me right now? Like, I can't believe that you actually think that Job worships you for nothing. And the way Satan, like, reasons it is he's saying, hey, God, 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 Job is so good at being prideful and selfish that he is willing to lose everything if it'll save himself. Like, don't you see that, God? Don't you understand? He doesn't care about his kids. He doesn't care about all his wealth. He doesn't care about what they've experienced. He only cares about himself. And God, you are the one, in a roundabout way, it's almost like he's blaming God because Satan's saying, hey, God, you are the one that you wouldn't let me uh, uh, give him physical pain. You wouldn't let me touch Job. And because of that, Job chose not to curse. But if you were to take that away, take away his health, I guarantee you he'd curse you. He'd curse you to your face if he had the chance. He's saying, if Job loses himself, if you take his health, if you give him physical pain, he will disown you. He will not worship you. Guys, this is how Satan works. Do we get that? Right? This is how Satan works. Satan actually believes this. He's standing there accusing the most righteous man on the planet, you know, at that time. And, and think about what he's doing to us. Right? We talked about how, how the... The Bible tells us that Satan, he's known as the accuser, right? That's one of his names. That's what he is. He's always there accusing us. Those of us who are truly Christians that have started our walk with God or started our relationship with God, which isn't everybody in this room, right? But, but probably the majority of us. The Bible says that he is standing there night and day accusing us, reminding God about all the terrible things we've done, reminding God about who we really are on the inside. Just like he's accusing Job. 
See, Satan, he doesn't understand why anyone going through pain would still follow God. He can't imagine it. Like, he can't fathom it. Why? Because Satan is such a prideful, selfish, self-consumed person that only cares about himself, and he would do anything to derail God's people. He'll do anything to derail us. And that's what he's doing to Job. And so he's telling God, he said, let me take his health, God. You held me back. Stop holding me back. Let me take his health. And this is how God answers. Verse 6. God says, okay, very well. The Lord told, told Satan, he's in your power. Only spare his life. By the way, notice that God's still in control here. God's in control. Right? Just like he was in control last time, he, he limited what Satan could do to Job, but now he's, he's moving the limit a little closer, and he's saying, but you may not touch his life. You cannot kill him. God is still in control and has power over Satan. All right, next verse, verse 7. He says, so Satan left the Lord's presence. What did he do? And he infected Job with terrible boils from the soles of his feet to the tops of his head. And then Job, he took a piece of broken pottery to scrape himself while he sat among the ashes. All right, so here's this guy, Job. Let's just let's think about it. Here's this guy, Job. He used to be the wealthiest man in the land. Right? He had everything going for him. I mean, he was the guy, right, that people would look to and say, man, if only I could be like Job. Like, if I had what Job had, all my problems would go right away. If I could be Job, then, I, you know, I, that would be living the life. Everything would be good. All my problems would be gone. I mean, he was a great leader in his region, right? He was known for his wealth, but even more for his wealth, what was he known for? His complete integrity, fearing God and turning away from evil. That guy. He was known for being a God follower, and God blessed him immensely because of that. I mean, he was living the life. But now what is he doing? He's sitting there. The Bible says, sitting among the ashes. Well, what the heck does that mean? The ashes, this is basically the city dump. All right, this is outside the city. This is where people would, would dump their garbage and dump their, you know, scraps and dump their ashes, right? And, uh, and that's actually where the sick people would all go. See, back then, it was kind of like COVID and quarantine now, actually, in, in a weird way, all right? But when someone was sick, all right, especially with like a skin disease, which kind of ran rampant back then, it was super contagious. But when someone was sick and they could see it, all right, you know what they would do is they would kick them out of the city. They wouldn't lock them up in a room or get a hotel room for them or whatever they do now, I don't know. Um, but they would kick them out of the city and so they kind of had to fend for themselves. And so they would go out and sit among the city dump. That's where all the sick people would go. It's like quarantine. They didn't want it going through the city. And so that's where Job goes. He goes where the sick people kind of congregate, where the sick people hang out. And the Bible says he does that because Satan gives him boils. Now, some of you guys, maybe you're sitting there you're like, boils? I got a couple of those on my back, you know, <laughs> whatever. Um, these, aren't like, these aren't like your normal boils, all right? These were, ex- I don't know what a normal boil even looks like, but probably somebody in here who's got one, all right, but I don't know. I looked him up on the internet when I was looking at this, and I was like, oh, people get those. I really hope I don't get one of those. But, uh, but these were excruciatingly painful. Right? Actually, um, a lot of scholars believe this is, because uh, boils can mean a, uh, several different things. It's all basically the same thing. It's a, it's a major, like, skin, skin problem where it's, like, open sores on the body. But some people uh, think that this is um, 
black leprosy, okay, which is a type of leprosy that is just, just going, you know, just, just terribly painful. So that's what Job gets. How many of you guys have ever, like, injured yourself where you've experienced, like, horrible, terrible pain? Okay. Oh, sorry. Jeez. All right. Don't get no PTSD in here, you know. Oh, I remember. Yeah, don't do that. Um, the, uh, I remember one time, probably the worst thing that's ever happened to me, and I'm just going to say it straight up, I've lived a best, blessed life, okay? Nothing major has happened. I knocked, off my, I knocked out my tooth once. That hurt. Um, but even more than that, it was this. I was in college, and uh, we were playing um, intramural flag football, and I remember going to push a guy out of bounds, okay? That's normal. That's cool. That's what you're supposed to do. So I pushed this guy out of bounds, but apparently, instead of using my hands, all right, I used my one thumb, and so when I did that, my thumb, like, got jammed. And it didn't just get, like, jammed. It, like, disappeared into my hand. It was weird and gross and creepy. So just hang with me. There's going to be some gross things going on in this message. So just plug your ears if you need to. Um, and so when I looked down, I was like, ouch, that hurt. And I looked down, my thumb was gone. Actually, I could see the tip of my thumbnail sticking out of my hand, like, right here. It was, uh, it was gross. I didn't even know that could ever happen. Um, but I, like, dislocated it and stuff. And so my, my initial reaction, though, was to pull it. And I'm so glad I did that because I pulled it out, and it, like, went back into its socket, I guess. And, uh, and if I would have thought about that for, like, a second, like, if I would have, you know, hesitated, I, there's no way I could have done it because I was already freaking out. But I pulled it out, and it hurt, man. It hurt so bad. I didn't know a finger could hurt so bad. And uh, I remember laying in bed that night, and I'm laying there, and I got my hand, you know, just laying there. I got some ice on it, which isn't doing anything. My whole hand's like black and blue because I probably messed up some stuff in there um, when my thumb went in my, disappeared in there. And I'm like laying there, and I like moved this hand, and it hurt. It made it hurt worse. I didn't know things were like connected that way. But it hurt so bad. And I look at this, and I hear kind of, I read, this is the only thing I have to like relate to Job at all. All right, and I look at what Job's going through, and I can't relate with the pain. I can't relate with how terrible that would have been. You know, but this is like that kind of pain all over his body, right? Like crazy. Like maybe the worst pain you've experienced, this is all over his body. The Bible says from the bottom of his foot to the top of his head, he's covered in these horrible, horrible boils. And you know what Satan's doing, right? Satan is giving him everything he's got. He's making it as painful as he possibly can. Every ounce of what he's got. Because he's waiting for Job to break. We actually see Job describing these throughout the rest of the book. And this is Job's quotes. This is what he says. Um, and I just kind of picked a few and just to read them. But he talks about how his pain was very great. He says, my cries, they pour out like water. He says, worms and maggots, they grew inside. Okay, so literally flies would go and lay eggs and worms and maggots would, would grow inside his, his skin inside of his boils. He described himself as de decaying like a rotten thing, like clothes that are moth-eaten. He said his skin started to shrivel up. He said his gnawing pain, he called it gnawing pain that never rests. He talks about how his skin turns black. These things were so bad that Job, he couldn't even sleep. Like you'd think you could go to sleep for a while and you wouldn't feel the pain. You know, you could be unconscious in a sense for a while. But that, it, the pain was so bad that he couldn't even sleep. And then he's at the city dump. And so he grabbed a piece of broken pottery and he started scraping these things off of his body. I mean, we can't even imagine. 
Because that, scraping these things, boils off of his body was better than having them. Just horrible, horrible stuff. And then we see in verse 10, he says, in all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. Man, what an example for us. In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Actually, it's kind of interesting that um, when this, when kind of Satan hits him with his first wave last week, how did Job respond? It says, the Bible says that Job did not sin, but here the Bible's a little more specific. It says Job did not sin in what he said. So, you know, maybe there was something that he, you know, maybe he had some terrible thoughts or whatever. He did not he did not, uh, he, he probably sinned some other way, but he did not curse God. I don't know if he's like, you know, I don't know, flipping people off as they walk by or what because he's so ticked off. But he didn't sin, he didn't say anything wrong, all right? He takes it. Then enter Job's wife, verse 9. He says, his wife said to him, she comes to see. She says, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. She is done. She can't take anymore, right? She hit her breaking point. And basically what she's saying is she's saying, hey, Job, let go of your righteousness. Like, what's the point anymore? Why are you still holding on to your righteousness? You need to curse God. And so maybe God will punish you by killing you because dying will be so much better than living the way that you're living. You know, I think sometimes we look at her, and those of us that, you know, we've been in church for a long time, we've grown up in the church, and we hear this story, I think sometimes we look at her and we think, wow, she's so messed up. What an evil woman she is. You know, we hear people, uh, maybe pastors have has said that, or, and, uh, and uh, you know, we, we look at her and it's like, it's like, you know, this is what you should not do. This is an example not to follow. This is how to be a horrible, horrible wife. And I think the people who say that mostly are just guys who uh, have broken up with, been broken up with too much. But, uh, but these, you know, we hear that kind of stuff, and we look at her as a tool of Satan. But let's call it what it is, all right? She is a tool of Satan. Actually, in the original language, the way that she says it, all right, the the, the words that she uses is the exact same words as Satan uses when he's talking to God. She's saying, you need to curse God, just like Satan's saying, he will curse you, God. She's saying the same thing. But think about what this lady's gone through. Right, this lady, she's lost everything, too. She's lost her children, too. Right? And now she is watching her husband suffer tremendously. She doesn't know what to do for him. Wouldn't you be tempted to do the same as her? She gives up on God. She can't take it anymore. And she's probably a really godly woman. Right? I think it's safe to assume, I mean, she, she probably has a better relationship with God than maybe than any of us in this room. We don't know that for a fact. But I'm basing that off of the fact that she married Job. Right? She married the most righteous man on the planet. Probably some of that rubs off on you a little bit. I don't know. But she married the one person who God points out to Satan and says, that man, right there, Satan, that's a righteous man. That is my main man. See, this is why you cannot slack in your relationship with God. 
This is, why, this is why your relationship with God is so important because you slack for a moment. And I think Satan, right, he's always trying to get us when we're down, but you slack for a moment and that's when bad things can start happening. And that's when it seems like that's when the trouble comes. And there you are standing. You're not strong enough to stand and, and you're not strong enough to, to really make the correct decision, which is to run to God. Instead, what do we do? We run from God. Instead of worshiping God, it's like we start doing life on our own. See, I think she genuinely is trying to help him. Right? She sees his suffering. It's probably extremely difficult to look at. She cares for him. She wants to help him out of this mess. Like most of us want to help the people that we love when we see, when we see them suffering or them going through some hard time. But even with, let's say, a probable good motive, she makes things worse. I think really we need to remember that we need to be careful when we are trying to help those around us. We need to be careful in what we say. I don't know, for me, I'm not very good at it, all right? I'm not very good at uh, being comforting, all right? You can ask my wife that. She would let you know really quick, I'm sure. Um, but we need to be careful in what we say. We need to be careful in what advice we give to people when they're going through some hard times. All right, this is what Job responds to in verse 10. He says, you speak as a foolish woman speaks. By the way, those of you single men out there, never call your wife woman, all right? It just causes a bunch of problems. Um, but he says, you speak, or foolish woman, even worse. You speak as a foolish woman speaks, he told her. Should we accept only good from God and not adversity? Through all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Look at Job's mindset here. This is so key. Look at his mindset. He's not going off of his feelings, Right? He's not going off of his emotions. That's what the world tells us. That's what our society tells us. Our society says, hey, just go off your feelings, go off your emotions, whatever you feel in that moment. That's what's right. Job, he's not using that. He's using logic. Feelings change. Emotions change a lot. And let's be honest, he's probably highly emotional at this point. But he's thinking logical. And he asks an important question to his wife. And I don't think Job goes up to his wife and say, or stands up and says, you know, you know, you woman, you know, I, uh, you know, I don't think he says, you know, you, we expect the good from God and not the bad. You know, what's wrong with you? That's not what Job does. Right? I think he's lying in the dirt, rolling around in agony, right? scraping boils off of, his, off of his body, and he probably just looks up at her, and maybe he, maybe he speaks in just a whisper, and he's saying, should we accept only good things from God and not bad? See, his mindset is it's so different than ours. It's so different than how we normally think because we only want the good and let's be honest we all only want the good who doesn't want that but when God allows us to have bad times when God allows a bad thing to enter our life we get mad at him where in reality the honest truth is every single one of us deserves suffering all the time we realize that right like every single one of us, we deserve, the Bible tells us, we deserve hell forever, for eternity. Like me, Zach Pinkerton, standing here on the stage in Tiffin, Ohio, right? I deserve hell for eternity. That is what's fair. You want to talk about fairness? 
That's what's fair. That's what's right. And the only reason why I don't have to go there is because my God suffered for me. See, we forget that we deserve hell forever. And when we realize this, this really changes our perspective. I think a lot of us, we know it, and a lot of us, you know, we, we realize it, sure, but I don't think we think about it much. And maybe that's the problem. I'm not 100% sure. But we don't think about it much. See, when we realize that we deserve suffering, and that's actually the right thing, and actually the suffering that we are going through is way, 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 way easier than what we actually truly deserve, anything good that enters our life, it really helps us to become way more thankful for It helps our attitude, our our thankfulness, that's for sure. It's a completely different than our normal attitude of God owes me. That ain't right. See, Job's wife here, she's missing it. Just like we usually miss it. But she's not the only one there. See, in the next verse, he says, now when Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Nemethite, and when they heard about all this adversity, all these problems, all, everything that Job has been going through that had happened to him, each of them came from his home, all right? So they met together and, uh, to go sympathize with him and comfort him. So these guys are coming from, they're traveling from distant countries, and they're coming together, and they're meeting in one spot so they could go together to go comfort Job. And when they get to the city, actually when they get within sight of this trash dump, when they look from a distance, they could barely recognize him because he was so deformed, because he looked so different. They were looking, they're like, okay, that, who's that? That's not, that's not Job. Is that Thing is even living, you know, that's, they don't even recognize him. And when they find out that it's him, it says they wept aloud and each man tore his robe and threw dust in the air and, and on his head. Remember, we talked about this um, last week. This was the most emotional demonstration, most emotional response that you could possibly do. And basically, it, in that culture, and basically what it did is it showed everybody that, uh, that sorrow was killing you on the inside. Like you could not function. That sounds kind of weird to us today, but cultures around the world today um, still do this same exact thing, just not our Western culture. He says, then they sat on the ground with him seven days and nights, but no one spoke a word to him because they saw that his suffering was very intense. See, these guys, they got it. Because when we go through hard times, we need others. What do they do? They sat on the ground next to him and didn't speak a word to him for a week. They sat there for a week. See, I think we all have the tendency when we see friends hurting, right? This is what we usually do. Um, Usually we feel like we should give some sort of advice, right? That's that's, that's just what we do. Kind of like that's what the wife does. Right? Maybe instead of advice, maybe instead of giving our opinion, right? maybe we just should be, be there. Right? Maybe we should just be there. See, Job's wife, she gave up. Job's friends, they give themselves, at least for a week. I remember um, I had a buddy of mine that uh, a few years ago, he uh, kind of a lot of things just kind of hit at once um, within a period of like four days. And um, I remember he, 
he was a musician, and uh, he had basically spent his entire life practicing and, and playing instruments. And re- like, I can't even imagine the amount of hours he put into to becoming a good, um, actually, he was a piano player, so becoming a good piano player. And so his goal in life was to be a professional um, musician. And, uh, and so he was trying to get into a certain school and all this stuff, and, and, and it didn't work out. Actually, he got a letter that, that he was rejected from the school of music that he was really trying to get to, a really prestigious school. Didn't get in. And then on top of that, this week, and this doesn't sound like a big deal, but, uh, but it was, um, but he got this spider bite on his leg. I don't know, this must have been a huge spider. But this thing, this bite got infected, and it grew into like, like a big old, almost like a boil. I don't know. It grew into this big old thing that was super painful. And I remember being at his house, and his dad, um, he would cut into it with a scalpel, and he would get all the pus and blood out and stuff, and he would clean it out. It was disgusting, all right? And I just remember him being so, like, like it, it, he was just, you know, it's just so painful. And then on top of that, his grandpa died, all right? Someone he was super close to. This all happened within a matter of days. And I remember, um, be, you know, I, I was younger back then, and I didn't necessarily know what to do. And I just remember saying, you know, hey, rough week. Like, that's, that's some tough stuff. And I didn't say anything. I didn't tell him what to do. I didn't tell him my opinion or anything. But I remember what spoke, or spoke to me or kind of stood out to me is he was so thankful that I just recognized it. That I just said something. Right? He's just, he was just so thankful for that. And I remember him telling me that, like, thank you so much. See, we, see, we actually see this truth in the New Testament as well, where the Bible describes us as one body, right? We're one body here at the church, Grace Church right here. We're one body with many parts. We have different functions, and we come together, and we form, like, one unit. That's what we were supposed to do. That's what we're supposed to be. Remember, it's not, you might be in middle school or college or, you know, retired. It doesn't matter. We are all in this together. We're not segregated by age, Church isn't supposed to be segregated by age. We're supposed to be together, right? This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, so if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. See, God has created the church for a special purpose. Actually, God's created the church for a special purpose, says. And one of those purposes is to share in suffering. That's what we're here for. That's what we're supposed to do. Paul, he writes this other places in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 1. He says, he says, we are to comfort those who are in any affliction, who have any sort of suffering. We're supposed to comfort them. Galatians 6, he says, bear one another with bear one another's burdens. See, we are God's design for sharing our pain with each other. And I think Job's three friends, I think they understood this. Because they didn't give Job advice. They were just there for him at least for a while. Actually, we're going to talk about next week. It's after that week, they start opening up their mouths, and that's when they start getting into, tr- into trouble. See, I think at first they understood that God made us in a way that we need people. Too many times we see our friends going through some hard time, and what are we doing? We're so full of words. Do this, do that. Oh, if I were you, you need to go to this person. You need to, you need to say this. Or maybe we just say things that are, that are true, right? It's like we go up and we're like, you know, God's got it. If you just trust in God, you know, um, but, but we're just not there for him, right? I mean, how many times have you talked to somebody who maybe they lost a loved one or something? You're like, I'm so sorry for your loss, but you're not there for him. You don't care. It's just a polite thing to do. So you, so you say it. 
See, we are really good at talking. Most of us, we're really horrible at listening. See, God promises suffering. We realize that, right? God promises suffering in our life. We live in a fallen world that's part of it. Um, actually, it's our fault that we live in a fallen world. That's, that's, that's on us because we messed, we messed it up. We brought sin into, er, into the world. Uh, but he offers help. And one of the ways that he helps us is that he gives us each other. Right? He gives us a church family that we can lean on so that we can endure. Actually, we see this in James 2. Um, he's talking to fellow Christians. Actually, when he's writing his letter, he's talking to Christians that we're going through some horrible stuff and we're about to go through some terrible, terrible stuff. Right? Just hor- stuff that I could explain to you, but you know, it, it's, you know, it's just it's maybe worse, maybe some of it's worse than what Job went through. Right, with the, that we know from history from the Emperor Nero, who is the next emperor about to take power when James writes this. And James says this in verse 10, or James chapter 5, verse 10. He says, brothers and sisters, he's talking to the church. He says, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. He says, hey, you want an example of suffering and patience? All right, you need to look at the Old Testament prophets. And then he calls one out. He says, he says see, we count as blessed those who have endured. He says, you have heard of Job's endurance, Right? He's like, think back to Job. And you've seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. And he's kind of hinting towards the end of the story, which we'll get to in a couple weeks. But he's saying, hey, Job is a great example for us. He's an example of someone who, went, who suffered and had patience. And we see for the first week, his friends helped him through that. They helped him get through just by being there. See, part of being in the church, and this is something I feel like we miss. We, we come in here, and we sit here for an hour, and then we leave, and we go home. We don't see anybody or talk to anybody for a week, and we come back and do the same thing. We sit in the same seats, you know, that type of thing. Part of being in the church is we're supposed to help each other through suffering. It's not by just necessarily giving advice. But we just need to be there for people because we're a family. That's why it's so important that we pray for Brad. Especially this week. He's got an appointment coming up on Tuesday, I believe. Especially this week. Someone who's going to be going through a lot the next couple of years. Because the Bible tells us that when mom, one member suffers, in a sense, we all suffer. So when one member suffers, it affects us all. Let's pray. God, we, um, we thank you for this story. God, you gave us a story to really help us through pain and suffering in our life. And, and, uh, and each week, it seems like we're learning or we're kind of looking at a major thing that, you're, that you've taught us through it. God, we know that we'll have pain and suffering, but we also know that we can make, get it through. And we know that you've designed the church and designed this awesome family that you've given us, this brand new family. We've only, we haven't even been around for a year yet. You've given us this brand new family to help us get through. We can rest on each other and rely on each other. Church was your idea, God. It's not ours, and we thank you for it. God, we pray for Brad. We pray that, that the progression of his disease would, would stop and you pause it. God, we pray that you would use this situation in his life and all the issues that we're all kind of facing with.
you know, faced with in our life, God, that you'd use it for good and help people find you. God, we thank you for everything. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.